Welcome to this episode of the Bully Pew Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about man stuff. I guess I could say it that way. And I think I think going forward, it's, it, it may be less about, you know, some Christian masculinity. There's so many, you know, decent and good and well done podcasts and things out there talking about exactly that thing. Um, but suffice it to say, there is a unique voice to be heard that is a, a voice of men in churches who don't happen to be pastors or who don't happen to think that um, God is calling them into that vocation. There, there is a, a unique voice, especially for those of us that are, like myself, a Baptist and believe that the Bible teaches um, at least or at least supports um, doctrinally the, this idea of congregational governance. This idea that, yes, within the church context, um, we are to be submitting to uh, authority in that context, but also we're, we're, we're all supposed to be Christian ministers in our regular lives and in what we do in our everyday lives outside of the church proper, if we could say it that way. And so um, we're going to be basically using this podcast, I'm going to be using this podcast as a way to give voice to that angle, the vast majority of, of believers out there that want to be faithful and want to be serving and giving and, and, and loving and ministering are not vocational pastors. Um, most men, of course, uh, who are in the church fit that description. Um, for those of you that don't know, this is the Bully Pew Podcast brought to you by Protestia, protestia.com, where you can find the latest in polemics and discernment news and commentary and all, all sorts of stuff to potentially get you riled up. We say sometimes on the website and on our accompanying video program and podcast called Protestia Tonight that polemics and discernment ministry is one area of ministry that is important, is not the area of ministry that is important. And so we, we encourage anybody who is um, reading Protestia or focused on polemics and discernment to also make sure that they are focused on other areas of their Christian walk, other areas of their, of their study and of their growth. Um, discernment is very important. We wouldn't be doing the, the work that we're doing if we didn't believe that. But it is, if, if it's all you do, you can very quickly find yourself um, jaded and angry and upset and, and thinking that there is nothing good going on in the larger Christian culture or in the church, things like that. And that simply isn't true. Um, every single time we turn around, there are glorious things being done by God uh, as he saves those um, who he is intending to save, uh, the miracle of salvation, the, the growth and edification of the church, and the way with which God um, maintains uh, the sanctity of uh, what Scripture refers to as the bride of Christ. Um, that imagery, um, while I would argue it can be taken too far from time to time, is still a, a, a good um, representation of the relationship between Jesus and the church and that his goal is to protect it and to sanctify it. Um, all of those are, are very true things. And so suffice it to say that while we see a lot of negative things that happen within the church and we report on them, and of course, if you do polemics and discernment work, it's a lot of it's more negative than positive because it's supposed to be going after and exposing those negative things. 
Um, but suffice to say, there are a lot of wonderful things that also happen on, on a daily basis. And um, the supernatural miracle of salvation occurring on a daily basis, the growth of the church, um, the, the increase in sanctification seen among the elect as they grow in their knowledge of God and as they, as they um, further conform themselves to the character of Christ, all of that is, is a wonderful thing. And hopefully, if you have the time to listen to it, this podcast can help you do that. Um, I'm going to take a bit of a left turn um, on this one and talk about something th- that I found very interesting from um, my perspective, but also the perspective of the work we do at Protestia and the perspective of just, I mean, I guess online existence, online culture, online media in general. Um, I, I happened upon a video by um, conservative content creator, conservative, you know, he's a, he's a comic, a content creator, he does a show, um, has, a, has, has a very large following, um, Steven Crowder, which many of you may know who that is and, and seen some of his work. Uh, he does some, some really, uh, I think really, really funny and entertaining, but also helpful, um, change my mind videos. It, it's been, um, they've been so popular that it's turned itself into a meme. So you'll see other people throw up, uh, pictures of Steven Crowder, uh, outside on a college campus or something with this change my mind sign. And then of course they'll put their own, um, their own terminology into the meme, but it's become that popular. It's become kind of a, a cultural phenomenon. But Steven Crowder had left, um, and I don't know if it was due to a dispute or a contract that just expired or what the deal was, but he was basically with, he was with a CRTV for a little while, then he was with the Blaze, um, Blaze Media, which is Glenn, Beck, um, Glenn Beck's conservative outlet. And he left, uh, I guess he left both of those and was entertaining offers from other, other conservative media companies and outlets and things. And how we came across this, because, you know, those of us that follow conservative news and conservative media and, and personalities and things um, knew that he had left the blaze. But then we, we didn't know what was happening. At least I didn't know what was happening until I saw a video of his on YouTube where um, he's, he's apparently started a website called StopBigCon.com. And by that StopBigCon, he means he's, he's saying, you know, conservative media, big conservative media. And his, I think his overall claim with that is that there are some conservative media companies that um, they, they toe the line more than they arguably should because they are dependent on and fearful of big tech. And he, he supported this argument by, um, part of it was redacted, but he, he showed screenshots of a contract or at least what, what I thought when I saw it was a contract that was offered to him by a big conservative media company um, that had all sorts of language in it about his compensation being docked pretty heavily if he managed to get his content removed or struck or or taken down off of big tech platforms. And so his allegation was, his allegation was, hey, this, this big conservative media company is basically not standing up to big tech in the way they should, or they're going to basically enforce big tech's censorship rules um, in their contract with me. <clears throat> so if I say something that they don't want me to say, and I find this, I find this all very ironic because um, the podcast that I'm recording right now not only goes out on its own podcast feed, but it also, uh, 
it also is replayed on Protestia Live, which streams on YouTube. And so even as I'm talking about this, I'm cognizant of the idea that I have to be careful about how I phrase things and say things because YouTube's algorithm will catch things that it, that that are you know no no words or no no topics or something um, throw those those no no words and topics before some intern or some some likely strongly liberal or leftist employee at YouTube that will then subjectively decide if what you've said or what what they've heard is worthy of being um, demonetized or removed or struck down on their, their, their community guidelines, which are, which are, you know, I would argue not very specific and, and not conducive to free speech, but they particularly, they don't particularly care about that. And unfortunately, um, YouTube is the place that people go to find content all over the place. It is the biggest, second biggest search engine on the internet, um, biggest video content provider by far. And so even as I'm talking about this issue, I'm like, hey, this is going to go out on YouTube eventually. And, and I, I don't really need the, I don't need the hassle of this being pulled down because I said something in a way that they didn't like. And there's all sorts of topics that are um, important topics, need to be discussed um, you know, um, topics about, I mean, related to voting, related to, uh, you know, the medical establishment, you, you name it. I mean, you can probably tell as I'm saying this, that I'm parsing my words carefully to make sure that, or try my best to make sure that I don't run afoul of some, some leftist intern in California. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so, so, uh, Steven Crowder basically is saying, Hey, he, he was basically saying that the terms of this, um, you know, again, what we thought was a contract or, or an offer or whatever you want to call it, are this big media company basically saying if if you talk about XYZ and YouTube doesn't like it or Facebook doesn't like it or whatever and they pull your stuff down um, and we can't monetize it, well, then we're, we're going to dock your pay. We're going to dock your compensation. And he, was, he seemed very offended by this idea. And honestly, at first glance, I was offended by this idea as well. I'm still offended by it on a... Um, on a fundamental or a principled level, but at the same time, you can see how me media companies don't run themselves. They're not free. Um, they're not charities as much as we, you know, at least dispositionally would like them to be. Um, this work isn't done for free. It costs money. And that money, whether we like it or not, in the current environment does come from monetization of the content you know, the, the vast majority of people that consume and, and of course, I know this at being a protest, the vast majority of content that we put out there is consumed um, by people uh, for free. They don't pay a dime for it. And yes, there, there is ad revenue to be made. There is, there is ways to monetize people's attention. So even if they're not directly paying for it, the fact that they're giving attention and being exposed to advertising and potentially clicking on that advertising um, does help a little bit. It's not nearly as much as people think that it is. Um, but I can I can understand I can understand both sides of this I guess this this debate. And so but but anyway so what happened is Stephen Crowder puts this uh, video up complaining about this and saying hey I'm going to start a website to stop this I think it's exploitive. Um, so so on and so forth uh it has a lot of people come to his defense and say yeah he's right about this this is a problem uh this it is a problem that um there are deals like this out there that seem on the surface to be a conservative media company 
um, not standing up to big tech is what it ma makes it look like. Um, come to find out, and we, we had all speculated. I mean, I was, I was in the group speculating, oh, I think this is the Daily Wire. You know, like, yeah, it could be the Daily Wire, it could be the Epic Times, it could theoretically be Fox News, I guess. Um, there are a lot of conservative-leaning or, you know, overtly conservative media outlets that could be offering this this deal. But but um, the Daily Wire's uh, co-CEO, Jeremy Boring, just comes out and says, hey, this is us, this is our deal, and and then and then spends a, close to an hour walking through it and why why the why the offer said what it said um and part of the offer that i wasn't aware of maybe maybe steven uh Crider said this in his video but i didn't see it part of the offer was hey there's a there's a 12 and a half million dollar a year guarantee if if steven Crowder uh meets these terms now i don't know about i don't know about you guys i think that's a pretty generous amount of money for what is arguably uh, pretty niche content. Like, I like Steven Crowder. I think he's very talented. I like his stuff. Um, I've not, never been a subscriber to uh, Mug Club, which is his subscription um, uh, model. Um, but I've enjoyed what I saw. I, I think he's a very talented guy and all that. $12 million, I mean, that's a lot of money. Um, you know, Pro Protestia is a, is a pretty big website. We're even more niche than Steven Crowder in terms of um, the audience that we're trying to reach. And so, you know, of course, it's going to be a smaller, a smaller reach and a smaller um, monetary structure around here. Um, but even so, I was like, $12 million seems like a lot of money. And then, of course, they were saying, hey, you know, we, we can't afford to pay you $12 million a year, $12.5 million a year, if we can't monetize your content. You know, as from a business perspective, which is really uh, a lot of my background, that makes perfect sense. But the problem was, it seemed like the first video that Stephen put out, that context was missing. We didn't know that there was a, and this was like a four-year deal. So, I mean, you're talking 12, 12 and a half million over four years, that's $50 million. That's a pretty good chunk of change. And if, if, if any company, and, and as uh, Jeremy Boring was explaining, if any company um, is going to take on that kind of risk because, of course, they have a company, they have other creators that depend on the existence of the platform, um, that if they're going to take that risk, they have to have some way to um, not, I wouldn't even say discourage him from talking about what he wants to talk about, but, but I guess discourage him from... Um, Operating in a way that would that would make it more likely that the content would get yanked down off of these admittedly awful social media platforms, um, and what they what they were doing what what they wanted to do apparently according to Jeremy Boring's explanation what what they wanted Stephen to do was basically put uh, a, the free content the, the the content that's you know in front of the paywall as they say. And, and in full disclosure, not that this really makes any difference, but I do have a, a Daily Wire Plus subscription, like a full subscription, videos and articles and the whole nine yards. Um, but technically speaking, I'm just a customer of theirs. Um, but what they were asking me to do is, hey, put, put good, engaging, um, I guess more mainstream content, so to speak, content that uh, the, the, these media platforms will not at this point try to censor out there in the open and encourage people to get behind the paywall and and subscribe and then you can talk about whatever you want to talk about which is exactly uh, um, 
I gotta apologize for those of you that heard that beep. That's a little distracting. I'm driving right now, as you as you may be able to tell. And over here in Colorado, we've had a ton of snow the past couple days, and all the cars, including mine, are are have snow all over them, still. And so it it tricks my little um, proximity sensor system. So there's a front-facing uh, alert system that says, "Hey, you're about to run into another car." But if you have snow all over your car, it fools the system, and it, sometimes it thinks you're about to run into another car when you're not. Uh, but I digress. It seems like you know Jeremy Boyne's response made it look um, pretty pretty reasonable, and made I, I would argue it, it made it made Stephen look like he didn't really like like he was almost purposely misunderstanding their position on this because it's it's one thing to, to disagree and say hey I, I don't think the deal should be written like this but it's another thing to say um i want guaranteed money even if you can't make money off of what I, off of the content that i'm producing um which which jeremy boring certainly made it sound like that was kind of the case with this deal uh it's it's interesting to me on on two fronts, I suppose. Uh, number one, as a uh, con, now content creator uh, myself, and as someone that that worries about has to worry about how do I keep uh, keep people who are doing the work paid? How do we make sure that there's enough uh, revenue coming in? Because as as those of you know, I've said this many times, but you may or may not know, I don't take a dime from Protestia. I, you know, I'm in a hole substantially because to me it's a ministry, but I don't think that every media company or, or, or any, any media organization on the internet needs to be in that same camp. That's just what I've chosen to do um, because I think that it's important for the gospel of Jesus Christ for us to provide answers to false gospels and identify um, false doctrine that leads people to hell. That's an important thing. And when I say I'm in the hole... It's not just about the time that I've dedicated and donated to doing all of this, um, but the equipment and the infrastructure, even on a small scale, needed to do to, to run an operation like this is more than I thought it would be. Is It's not just the, the website and, and the articles and stuff like that um, that cost. It's also... Like in the case of running Protestia Live, there needs to be a dedicated computer. There needs to be dedicated production equipment, um, subscriptions to production, you know, software, and and all the the things that that need to be uh, purchased to make this happen um, and look and sound, you know, the best that we can do with a small staff. So I, I understand it from that perspective, and I guess I I'm hoping at this point that whatever happens. Um, you know, that I, I'm hoping that Steven Crowder and the Daily Wire can kiss and make up. That's what I'm hoping. It may not happen. There seems to be, I mean, a lot of hurt feelings at this point and potentially potentially some bad blood uh, anymore. And there, there are people taking sides. Um, you know, friends of, of Stephen that, that see his that, that see his perspective, uh, friends of the folks of the Daily Wire that see their perspective. I think it was a wise and a and a and a brilliant move, and I'll fully admit this. When I first saw what uh, Stephen Crowder had said, not knowing whether it was the Daily Wire, even when I found out it was the Daily Wire, before I'd heard uh, Jeremy Boyne's response to this, I had basically said behind behind closed doors, and to people I'm not going to tell you who, um, that I thought that I thought thought Stephen Crowder was right about this. I said, hey, you know, 
basically saying you're going to dock your content creators when they get nicked by um, big tech censorship is that basically signals to the world that boycotts work, that um, that censorship works, that that big conservative media companies will cow to censorship to, to continue to make money, and that's not a principled uh, place to be. Um, then when, when, when I heard uh, Jeremy Boring explain this, especially in context of what, what is basically contractually a $50 million guarantee and contractually something that um, wasn't, wasn't some sort of a final offer contract. It's not something that either person signed. He explained it as the beginning of the negotiation. Um, now, I, I mean, I think that, that on a principled level, that's, that's only partially a decent explanation because the, there's no sense that during negotiations that Steven Crowder would have been able to get the language about um, big tech censorship and being blocked and all this kind of stuff and, and whatnot pulled out of the contract. I think that, you know, and, and say what you will about that, but at least it's at least Daily Wire was being transparent about hey, this is why we have to do it this way. And, and building this alternative media infrastructure and all this costs money and, and we, we just can't do it if, if, if all of our content gets yanked down and we can't monetize it. Um, and I can see that to a, degree, to a degree. The unfortunate thing is that the free side content, the content that goes out on um, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and places like this is at least as valuable, if not more valuable than the subscription content. Because you think, hey, this 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 content can be monetized, and it's less it's less per user, obviously less less money per viewer or per reader or whatever than subscription content. But there's also thousands more um, in terms of the scale of this. So, for instance, the the, the Daily Wire seems to indicate that they have like nine hundred thousand paid subscribers or something. I I don't know how. The, I don't know if that number is, is valid or not. It seems like it, it, it probably is. Um, but the revenue, if, if, if those users are all paying, you know, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever, whatever it winds up being to have those memberships, you can do the math. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about nine, 900,000 um, subscribers that we say, hey, even if we say they're $10 a month, which it probably isn't, it's probably quite a bit less than that, but let's just say it's $10 a month. Now you're talking about $9 million a month. seems like a lot of money until you realize that there are um, a lot of people involved, 250 employees and content creators and all these kinds of things that, that all need to be paid. That subscription revenue will not even come close to paying those people. Won't even be close. And so they need to be able to run advertisements. They need to, especially on the free content, they need to be able to monetize YouTube channels and, and um, monetize uh, you know, Facebook and any other place you can monetize your content that needs to be done in order to provide additional revenue. Um, Protestia, again, it's a, it's a small example, small scale example, but at least it's one I'm familiar with. Um, we have a patronage model. <coughs> Excuse me. We have a patronage model that is um, basically just people deciding to subscribe, and we do provide them additional content for that um, because we think that's the right thing to do for those that are willing to jump in the fight with us. And, and it is a fight and a, a battle that we're waging here, but jump in that fight financially. Uh, we have advertising revenue from the website. We have a tiny little amount of um, monetization from... Uh, from YouTube and other video platforms, it's very small. Uh, we have a, a, a paid um, email list 
which is a way that folks can read content from our website ad free or uh, and and also get um, what we call the insurgency news blast, which is basically um, kind of like our own Christian version of the Drudge Report, where we curate articles and, and, and organize all that stuff so you don't have to go everywhere to find it. But those are really, I mean, those are basically the, the, the revenue streams for, uh, for Protestia. And it all comes in one, one uh, side and goes right out the other to support the people doing the work and to pay for the expenses, uh, server expenses and, and, and things like this and, and really just running the, the operation itself. Um, you know, there's, it's, not a, it's not a profitable business. Let's put it that way. There's not, you know, nobody's getting rich from protestia.com, which is, that's fine. That's, that's exactly how I want it to be. Um, it's because, because, uh, the, the Lord has blessed me with enough, um, other sources of revenue to, to be able to do that. That's a good thing. Uh, it can be challenging from, from time to time because sometimes it's hard to prioritize, um, something, something like protestia over family commitments and, and, you know, other the, the other jobs and things that I do to keep my family fed it's 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 can be tough to prioritize protesting over that but so far the Lord has, has given us the energy to keep pushing forward and has given our patrons and our supporters enough patience to to stick with us even when things don't quite go the way that we uh, want them to go like Tuesday night I, I missed the bulldogmatic Bible study on Tuesday night um, and our our wonderful patrons um, you know the 1995ers and up, and those that are consistently on the Bulldogmatic Bible Study on Tuesday nights, were very gracious, and I know that they take time out of their their evenings to be with us on that study. So it can be frustrating if it's like, hey, I, I scheduled around this, and now you can't make it. You got to cancel. And but I, I I barely made it in time to to do the live stream, the Protestia tonight live stream on Tuesday night, and they were they were very gracious to do that. Um, we're still trying to work through figuring out what's the best way to deliver the kind of content we deliver in a way that people, um, that they appreciate and that works for them. Um, I've had some people say, Hey, <clears throat> these long form podcasts or <laughs> this long form, this long form video content is not ideal. And in, <clears throat> in like for YouTube, it's not ideal. YouTube does not work. Uh, YouTube is not really a, a great platform for longer form content, at least in terms of popularity. Um, because as we all know, for people that don't have YouTube subscriptions, when you start a video, there's usually, there's a, there's an ad roll before that video. There's mid video ad rolls, depending on the length of the video. And of course, end video ad rolls. Um, but the, the ideal number seems to be about 10 minutes long. It seems to be like the ideal YouTube time for a video. And even that is not, is too long for some because they have YouTube shorts, which are shorter versions of videos. I, I, I would think to, to compete with sites like TikTok, which are rapidly degrading people's attention spans. <clears throat> um, but, but yeah, we, we put podcasts up there and video content up there that are at, an hour long, sometimes longer than that. And with the idea that we're going to dig more in depth. And part of the reason we can do that is because this is not a, a revenue stream or a job or a, you know, it, it is technically a business in terms of its organization, but it's not for the purpose of generating profit per se. Uh, we don't have to constantly run ads. And so to, to, to try to, you know, we don't, we don't run sponsorships and things, no offense to people that do, 
nothing wrong with that at all but you you won't find me on this podcast or on protesting tonight or something like that um segueing the content or what i'm talking about uh into some sort of a you know an ad for my pillow or something like that no offense to my pillow i like my my pillows and <laughs> my all products i've gotten from them um, but you won't find that. You won't. You won't find me segueing into. Let, now let's talk about how you can be a lord or lady, and here's and or you can buy these knives or this and that and the other. This isn't. This isn't my full time job. So, the the patience that that people give. I mean, the Bully Pew podcast you're listening to right now is the first podcast in like three months, over three months. I think the the, the last one I did before this was back in October of 2022. So you can do the math. It's now January of 2023. Um, but yeah, this, this Steven, the Steven Crowder and daily wire, uh, dust up, if I can call it that I find very, uh, intriguing. Um, I find it very intriguing because it's, it's really related to a lot of stuff that we do here at Protestia. And also because my background is in the music industry. And so when I first saw some of the terms of this contract, I'm like, this, this seems like one of those onerous record label deals that they give to new artists. Uh, who don't know any better in the in the the music industry it's very common now to see what we call a 360 deal so so traditional recording contracts record deals as you call them you ever hear artists talk about i got a deal i got a record deal that's what they're talking about with a record label it basically it, it goes something like this the in the, tr- the traditional contracts would go something like this a record label says to an artist we're going to give you, we're going to give you a, a recording advance. This is a recording advance. We're going to give you some cash to go produce your record. And again, I mean, some of this sounds so antiquated now in the current state of the music business, but they would give a recording artist an advance, and who knows? I mean, it could be anywhere from a couple hundred grand all the way up to multi millions of dollars to go record an album, and then that album would would then the record label would spend money to to promote it. And, and put it out there, and then as that album sold and was monetized and um, synchronized, I mean, all the things you can do with that recorded music, the, the revenue for that would be split. And so any, any sales of that record would generally be 50-50, 50% to the, um, the record company for the recording, and then 50% to the artist. And there, was all, there would also be publishing um, cost to that because the, the composition itself would be monetized, and that would be split between a publishing company and the, the, and the songwriter. It's, and very often the songwriter and the artist aren't the same people, especially in certain genres. I mean, you, you, genres like country music, it's very common for that artist. Is, that artist is singing a song that somebody else wrote you know, entirely. Um, it's part of what makes... Nashville and country music such a such a uh, haven for songwriters. Songwriters, there there's some folks that just write songs, um, and and get those songs recorded by recording artists, and they make their they make publishing royalties when those songs are reproduced, when they're put onto record, when they're when they're streamed, uh, when they're put into uh, sheet music, whatever that happens to be. Um, but anyway, so so the record company would offer this advance. And then as revenue came in, the recording advance and promotional expenses and things like this were what they would call recoupable. So as revenue comes in off this record, um, the, the record company, um, 
they take all of that revenue until the advance is paid back. That's kind of how it was done. And if you were a big artist and you knew you were going to sell millions of records, it was fine as long as you didn't as long as your advance wasn't huge, you'd pay off that advance and then you start you start earning um, now you're fifty percent of what's coming in, but often, especially with smaller smaller recording artists, they would never recoup that that advance. So these smaller artists would never make a dime off of their records. They were perpetually uh, in debt to the record label with regard to um, any access to the um, the revenue from the recordings themselves. And so what they would do is they they found other streams of revenue in order to keep their career going. You know, so they would tour. You know, concert tickets and things. Um, they were they would they would tour. They would sell merchandise. They would do appearances. They would do all sorts of other things. And it was it was understood basically in these old school record deals that hey, that's not part of the record deal. Um, or if it is, it's a very you know the record company gets a very small piece of that. Now these days, record companies get artists to sign what they call 360 deals. And it's even it, this. This is even more pernicious now in the in the internet age. The 360 deal basically allows the record company to, to take a varying piece of every single bit of revenue that comes in. So, if the if, a, if you sign one of these recording deals, they may give you an advance to re, to record your album, although it's not even near what it used to be because albums can be recorded cheaper now. But the record company would say, okay. Because we are going, you're going to sign this contract. We're going to put money into promoting you. We're going to put some money into recording this album. Um, you know, you're going to be able to say, "I'm with Capitol Records," or "I'm a Universal," you know, uh, uh, recording artist, or I'm, "I'm with MCA," whatever the company happens to be. Um, because of that, we get a piece of, and very sometimes it's fifty percent, sometimes it's more of every stream of revenue that you have. So whether it's your touring, your merchandise, special appearances, um, internet monetization, video monetization, whatever it is, the recording company's got their hands in all of that. And so you, you have, it's, it's not a good deal, but young artists will sign it because uh, they, they want a deal. They want a recording deal. And to get back to what we were talking about, some of the issues that I saw in the contract that Steven Crowder was was exposing here they they reminded me of those kind of deals those kind of things where it's like hey we're going to give you an advance and he really didn't like say what his guarantee was when he was talking about it as far as i know and if you do this this and this you got to deliver these we're going to take this money and these and take this money it looked very much like one of those recording deals to me so my initial reaction was negative to this um and yet that i i am not intimately familiar with you know the the newer forms of contracts that are used for um, content creators in the new in the new media era. It is a bit of a a tight rope that has to be walked with conservative media companies because they know very well. Unfortunately, it's just how it is that the largest media platforms, the way that this stuff gets out, is still controlled by people that hate what we think, people that hate our our positions, people that don't want us to talk about things. Um, I mean, we saw this with the quote-unquote Twitter files after Elon Musk buys Twitter and basically exposes that prior to him buying Twitter, um, all of these big, comp- these big tech companies were basically doing the bidding of the government powers that be. They weren't free speech platforms. They were gatekeepers. They were, they were um, propagandists in a lot of ways for, for the government. 
And so not only would they control the topics we could talk about, um, but, but they controlled what we could say within those topics. So, I mean, and that's, that's why we have things like, you know, video content creators putting stuff on YouTube or Facebook using code words to talk about things. This is, this is, this should not be in a free country. This should not be the way that it is, but because, um, these companies are not, they're controlled by, um, by craven business people. Um, rather than people that are actually principled in terms of and, um, free speech and in terms of, of, of core American principles, now we have to do it this way. So we, we use special words for things uh, anymore to avoid the, the algorithms picking up on what we're saying. Uh, we, we censor, self-censor, which is what they want. We stop ourselves from talking about things we otherwise would talk about. Um, we, we engage in culture-wide this, this idea of cancel culture, which, which is, is very funny to me. And, I, and this, this, I think, if I remember, this will be the topic for the next Bully Pew podcast. Um, the information age and the internet has this ability to completely distort, completely distort everything with regard to scale and, and, and who's seeing what um, when something goes on the internet, it's very hard to tell, um, how important it really is, how effective it really is, who actually heard it and who didn't. And companies would fall for this all the time. So I, re I remember a case where, and I forgot the guy's name, but he was like the CEO of like Netscape or something like that. This was years ago at this point. Had it, it, it was found out that he had, he had contributed money to a political effort in California to halt gay marriage being legalized in that state. And when, when that came out that, that he believed those things and, and this is Orthodox Christian belief, as we all know, but it came out that he, it's, it's similar to the NHL hockey player who wouldn't wear the gay pride Jersey. When it came out that, um, he was going, he was being true to himself and acting as a free citizen, um, that wasn't good. And no, nobody could live and let live with him. Nobody, nobody was willing to tolerate his beliefs. And the mob went after him and basically got him fired and removed from that job. This happens all the time now. And these companies excuse it by saying, well, it's, it's, it's you know, it's reputation management. Um, if, if the customer base or if people out there think that you are uh, a bad guy and they choose not to do business with our company because of it, um, then what you've said has now damaged the company financially and we can't keep you on. Um, but I would argue that in many cases, these companies that do that, they, they are fooled by the quote-unquote mob online into thinking that whatever happened is a bigger deal than it is. You know? It would be like if the if uh, the NHL or the Philadelphia Flyers reaction to this Russian hockey player saying I'm not I, I just didn't want to participate in in wearing the gay pride jersey and all that if they thought somehow this was going to destroy the fan base for the Philadelphia Flyers nobody was going to go see games anymore and all that and they got rid of him because of it that would be the same thing I think in that case maybe they they're smarter than that and they and they see this is not they're not being fooled by the online cancel mob. But sports media is certainly fooled by it. The sports media is way different politically than the players that actually play these games. A lot of us that, that, that 
are, are familiar with sports and, and, the, and the sports industrial complex. We understand this. So, so ESPN and the commentators on ESPN are going to be far more liberal than the players playing the games that they're covering. You know, And that varies to a degree. There are certain leagues that are more uh, liberal or conservative than others. Um, but, but point being is that these big companies, they don't understand the scale. They think that these issues are bigger than they are, and they overreact. And all that does is encourage the cancel mob. It's like, hey, if we can convince company XYZ that this is going to destroy their bottom line, if we can convince them of that, then they'll take the censor, they'll censor on our behalf, they'll cancel this person, they'll do exactly what we want to be done because they don't understand that this is just a handful of um, squeaky wheel whiners and not something that the entire public even cares about. And so when, when I read, uh, when I saw what some of the Steven Crowder was talking about with this, with this potential deal here, it seemed, it seemed like that same dynamic. That same dynamic that puts the, ha- the power in the hands of, the power over the content and the content creators in the hands of um, big tech and the cancel mobs. And really, it didn't put anything in the hands of the cancel mobs in terms of the being deplatformed. But part of what was in that deal was also like, hey, if your advertisers drop you, then we're going to re- reduce your your payments until we can get av- new advertisers. <coughs> now, from a purely business perspective, that makes perfect sense. You can't you can't afford to pay somebody what they were apparently offering to pay him if you can't bring in the revenue to do it. You can't you can't tank the whole company. Um, you, you have to protect the company as well. And unfortunately, that, that puts um, them in a very difficult position because how do you uh, say what needs to be said and be a, um, a, a strong, unapologetic, conservative voice when all of the platforms that people go to see your content are run by liberals who have no, they, they have no qualms whatsoever about um, destroying your ability to to earn revenue on their platforms because they disagree with you politically it's really all it is you don't see you don't see people uh you don't see people that agree with the the general politically correct liberal liberal narrative being demonetized on youtube it just doesn't happen you know or having having advertisers harassed to the point of canceling you know to to you know force these companies to uh take revenue away from their from their content creators it just doesn't happen on the left and and why is that well because conservatives don't fight back that way we may say hey i think starbucks is too liberal so i'm not going to get my coffee there but we're not staging protests outside of a starbucks not not generally i know i mean the internet's a big place a lot of people do a lot of different things but generally speaking that's not what we do we just make a different decision and move on with our lives liberals are different Liberals will go after your ability to feed your family if they don't like what you say. Um, this is obviously and verifiably true. And unfortunately, the, the big tech platforms in line with um, our, one, our would-be government overlords are all too happy to toe that line for them, at least at this point. And, you know, conservatives, I mean, we were caught a little flat-footed with that. We didn't think it was a possibility. We trusted these big tech platforms when they said that they were actually uh, for free speech. They clearly are not in a lot of ways. Um, ironically, because here's the, the most ironic part about it. People's interaction with social media and their interaction online with these kind of things is, is more or less 
if, if they know what they're doing is more or less on their own terms. So people can decide what content they want to consume for themselves and big tech sells itself social media companies sell themselves as that being a big benefit of of being on their sites and you know come over here because you can control your experience you only see what you want to see they sell this as a as a, um, a benefit and in some ways it can be but in other ways of course it's it's not very helpful in terms of being natural and organic human interaction but it's ironic that they, they say this, hey, you can control you can control your own experience on here. Um, whatever you want to see or not see, you, you, you can do that. But at the same time, we're also going to censor it at the top level. So the content that you get to supposedly control has already been pre-censored by us. We've already pre-curated what you are allowed to choose to see or not see. And then after that, you can kind of make your own decision. But that's at a, like a second level. Um, and what they're really admitting is that um, that sort of censorship, content censorship and topic censorship, and you're not allowed to say this, you're not allowed to say that, those kinds of things, they're not about quote unquote keeping people safe because they already have the tools in place for someone to say, I don't wanna hear that opinion. I don't wanna hear that view. They already have those tools in place. So it's not about that, it's about they have their own opinion about what should be said and what shouldn't be said. Oh, and by the way, the government is also pressing them secretly to control it as well. So they're afraid of the, they're afraid of the government. They have their own ideology, and that's what really informs what their standards for quote unquote community guidelines are. And be, because as we know, everybody can control what they see or don't see on the internet if they so choose. The the, the safety tools are already in place. So. Um, that's going to have to do it for this episode of the Bully Pew podcast. I realized that I, I sort of talked about a whole bunch of different things. Hopefully you found it entertaining. Hopefully you found it engaging. Hopefully it, it, it made you think I'm going to be very curious to follow where this conversation goes because I really like the Daily Wire generally. I really like Steven Crowder uh, generally. I think they're both um, doing good things for um uh, the politically conservative movement of which I would argue uh, all uh, faithful Christians should find themselves um, in versus the alternative in our culture. Um, we've explained that a lot of times, but I, I think both of those uh, outlets are very good things for the conservative movement, and I hate to see um, this kind of being being put out there as an issue. I hope they can figure it out. Uh, sounds like they're friends, and so no doubt something like this will hurt people's feelings and offend people and so but we'll see i mean the world is a very imperfect place and things just don't happen the way that uh they should happen every time so anyway thank you so much for listening to this episode of the bully pew podcast we will see you next time